Good morning, Dorchester. Well, that feels really like I'm somehow in Eurovision, but morning from Abu Dhabi. It's so great to be talking to you today about the second part of uh, chapter one in Revelations, uh, after where David left off. Um, as I started to write down what God had placed in my heart, David's words from last week's message were still very fresh in my mind. Uh, speaking after another, whose insight and ability you hold in high esteem. Well, well, that's a little daunting. Actually, it's really daunting. I talked to Roger in the weeks before about feeling nervous, um, whether I'd be equal to the task of sharing the message, but recognised I just needed to relax, hand the reins to God and enjoy it. Not as a task, but a blessing. After all, anyone who knows me will like tell you I love to talk. And here I was once again, questioning whether I had what it takes to follow such an accomplished message, how would I frame what God seemed to want to set share for me to share? For me, this is one of the greatest ironies of being a Christian. You have a good God, you know you can trust Him, you have the Holy Spirit, you have His Word, and the example of the past where He's proven time and again that He will lift you up when you fall. And so you always trust Him. No, you make the same mistakes every time. Pray, no. Trust, no. Listen, no. Do it yourself on your own? Yes, yes, yes. Is any of that sounding familiar? Just as in the world that David described last week, we live in a world divided. Divided by borders, divided by cultural differences, divided by war, divided by religion, divided by philosophy, divided by hatreds. What unites us? Well, if you listen to the news on one thing that unites us, or maybe disunites all of humanity right now, it's the novel coronavirus, COVID-19. And we are united, united in our response to it. Further division. Nations seek their own solution, some trying to exert political pressure on others to gain prestige. Leaders sometimes pursue their own agendas, while others look to recover power or ensure their own futures. Companies look to make billions in profit off the fear and misery of the world's people. And yet, despite our differences and our petty agendas, here we are witnessing the production of multiple vaccines with the potential to overcome this dreadful disease, less than a year after it sprang, after it sprang to prominence. From all that division, hope is seen. Hope? Yes, hope. That from these many vaccines, all the world's population might be vaccinated and this scourge defeated. One country alone could not have accomplished that. Not the whole world. If we had tried to come together and unite with one response, we'd still be arguing about it. But separately, in division, we may just manage to do what together we probably could not have done. Last week, we heard how pretty much the whole of the Bible relates to one central thing, creation to salvation, that is, God created it and it was good, but then something went wrong and it was not any longer as he'd intended. Since then his plan to put it right has been in motion as documented in the Bible. Um, and that was with one end in sight, the return of everything to what it was supposed to be. That includes returning us to a state when we're no longer separated from him, but one where we will enjoy a physical existence beside him in heaven as kings and queens. Alongside that, there are many other things, giving us insights into God, our relationship with him, and into people, ourselves. 
I mentioned the irony I was feeling at the start of this message. It's all there in the Bible if we choose to look for it. Uh, one of the nice things about a broadcast is we can sing to our heart's content in our own homes uh, without any of the restrictions that are placed on us by this horrible situation worldwide with COVID. So I hope you enjoyed that. And um, great to celebrate people's birthdays and other events. Uh, I really hope those chocolates arrive. Well, in Genesis 15, 4 to 5, God promises Abraham that his descendants will be without number. Look into the heavens and count the stars if you are able to number them. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be. Later in Genesis 17, verse 4, God says to Abraham, you will be the father of many nations. Then God changes his name to Abraham. When we see a change in name in the Old Testament, another text from the period is to indicate a change in character. For example, where Jacob, grabs the, which means grabs the heel, gets changed to Israel. But Abraham and Abraham, they, well, they mean the same thing, exalted father. So, why change the name? Prior to this, Abraham had set out on his own, leaving his family home with his dad, Terah, and Terah's authority over him behind. Here we see God replace that authority, and in doing so, reflect that in a change in Abraham's name. He became Abraham. At the time, God made his intentions clear, that Abraham would be the father of many nations. God's design was for there to be many nations, not one united nation. Indeed, you don't have to travel far back in Genesis to see another example of God's design that there be a division between peoples. In Genesis 11, verses 1 to 9, we see the story of Babel. We all know that story, where we see a world united with one language, and yet God chose to divide them, scattering them all across the earth and confusing their language. It's one of those passages where we see what looks like a contradiction of God's character. Not the kind, loving and generous God we know, not the just, courageous God with a vision for mankind we see elsewhere. So, if it was God's plan to see mankind divided at Babel and into nations following Abraham, what does that mean for us? We can assume that this was not intended to be a bad thing. After all, look at Jeremiah 29.11. For I know the plans I have for you, said the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you, and God is good. See Exodus 33.18, Psalm 139.14, Genesis 50.20, Romans 8.28, Corinthians 1.3, Acts 10.38, Titus 3.4. To name just a few, we must assume there is a good reason for this. As we explore God's evident plan for mankind and the divisions between us and draw some conclusions about God's plan for us, ask yourself, is this relevant for me? How should I respond to this? As mentioned earlier, Jacob's name was changed to Israel after he contended with God. In Genesis 32, 22 to 28, we see um, that happening. And we need to look closely at that name change because it's important too. Scholars call that name Theophoric and it means it bears the name of God. It was not uncommon to name important characters in the Bible in this way. For example, Jeremiah means God exalts, and Daniel which means God judges. These names describe something about God, an attribute of God. Israel is made of two parts, Israel and El. 
And all was the name used for God in this time period, by all the peoples in the region, including the Israelites. There is a lot of argument, however, about what Israel means. <laughs> surprise, surprise. The King James Bible says it means prince thou hast power, while other scholars say it means one who is straight or fair. And the Jewish scholars, it also means turns the head of God. Or we could stick with what the Bible says it means, struggles or fights with God. That's Genesis 32, 28. Do you ever wonder why we have to make things so complicated? This is different. It doesn't describe an attribute of God like the others. It describes an attribute of Jacob as one who fights with God. In the passage, Jacob wrestles with God until God chooses to ask for it to stop, recognising that he would not win the fight. Hang on. God recognises he could not win the fight with a man? That sounds unlikely. The creator can do anything, can't he? Or perhaps God knew that he could win, but it didn't serve his plan. So Jacob was named as the one who fights with God and left permanently injured in his hip after demanding a blessing from God as a result. God named his chosen people after Jacob's fight with him. In Abraham's case, God's plan was for there to be many nations and from those many nations, the people God chose to be his own, special or holy people, were named in recognition of their fight with him. This was a name that carried authority, but also character, but not God's character. He chose not to contend. Jacob's character. Genesis 32:28 in full. Your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. I wonder at the irony here, perhaps an insight into God's humour threaded through the Bible, recognising that his people were always going to contend with him. A warning about struggle with humans and a hope that we will overcome. Read the Bible with this in mind. See what you think. In Revelation 1, 1 to 9, we see Jesus speaking through John's encounter with him to the seven churches. Of Ephesus, hang on, let me make sure I get this right. Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamon, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia and Laodicea. Yes, I did it. This letter was written to them, and our title for today's talk is CC Everyone in the Church. Does that include you and me, assuming we're part of the church? Was that the extent of Christianity when John wrote this letter? It seems unlikely, as by this time there would have been groups of Christians scattered everywhere. Far and wide, Caesarea, Paphos, Syria, Greece, there were churches in Italy, in Rome, in Africa, in Carthage. There were Christians in India, throughout Europe, the Caucasus, Africa and Asia Minor. None of these were referenced here. John would have had a good idea of the spread of Christianity, but even if not, Jesus would have known where every Christian was, every Christian church was. So why these seven? It has been suggested that the seven churches represent the future of the church, that each represents a stage in the church's evolution from right at the beginning to the conclusion of God's plan. Scholars generally discount this idea though. Another more widely accepted suggestion is the symbolism of the number seven, that it represents the universal church, both geographically and temporally. So that means wherever and whenever the church exists. This is in keeping with much of the symbolism found throughout Revelation and the deliberate references to other apocalyptic texts 
So that would include other books from the Old Testament, such as Ezekiel and Daniel. Still more scholars suggest that the church, sorry, the choice of churches is um, being in what is now Turkey, really influenced John's, uh, reflected John's influence. And perhaps they were the main churches that had an influence in the area, and they were also part of the postal system, which would have meant that uh, John's message could have been distributed far and wide. Whichever scholar you agree with, there appears to be one common idea. It's not just aimed at those seven churches. Each of the seven were different, with their own unique problems uh, and values, but Jesus starts by speaking to all seven of them. There's no suggestion that they should band together and form one church. They were seven, but also one church. The conclusion of the letters to each individual church suggests this application relates to all seven together, not separately. That looks quite similar to God's plan for Israel. Israel, one nation, many tribes. One church, many smaller churches. Should we be surprised at God's plan for his people? One of divisions might be repeated in his adopted people? Christians are adopted into Israel, Israel, but most can't trace the lineage to one of the twelve tribes. Instead, Christians are now separated into different churches. Quite a long list. You could include the Roman Catholic Church, the Greek Orthodox Church, the Russian Orthodox Church, the Armenian Orthodox Church, Anglican, Episcopalian, Methodist, Baptist, Nonconformist, and Pentecostal, to name just a few. Each has its own traditions, flavours of Christianity, if you like. And most often, each exists because one group or another disagreed with the church they were part of about something that seemed so important that they had to separate themselves from each other. Or, put another way, two ministers were having a conversation about whose way of doing church was right. In the end, one said to the other, well, I guess what matters is that we all do the Lord's work. You in your way, and I in his I won't go into that except to say that our churches were not born in unity, but in division and disagreement. Is that, f- f- is that something familiar to you? And should we be surprised, after all, wasn't Israel named for contending with God and with humans? So let's assume, just for a moment, that the scholars and others who voice an opinion are onto something, as they wrestle with the specifics of the seven churches, that John's message from Jesus was intended to be heard further afield. And let's assume that no matter what Christian tradition, church or denomination you belong to, Jesus wanted to speak to you too, both then and now. If that were the case, depending on our tradition, church or denomination, each of us might identify with some parts of the message more than others, to listen more closely to the parts that most closely align with our views. And that isn't in God's character either, is it? He didn't inspire two, four, or 15 different Bibles, just one. And clearly from the application of the letters to each of the individual churches in Revelation, the message was meant for all. That's all in capitals. It means all. The passage describes a man standing among seven lampstands, holding seven stars in his right hand, the same hand, he reaches down to comfort John with. The passage leaves little doubt as to who that man is. Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead and now look. I am alive forever and ever. 
and I hold the keys of death and Hades. It would be hard to read that and conclude anything other than the man is Jesus himself. And of course, many, many Bibles make translations make that easy by marking all the language that this man uses in red. With little doubt about who the man is, he leaves little doubt about who he's talking to. The mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lamp stands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lamp stands are the seven churches. Out of Jesus' lips we hear he held the angels of the seven churches in his hand. But who were they? The number seven. Lampstands and churches. The lampstands symbolise the churches. That's clear from what Jesus says. But the symbolism of the number seven and lampstand is language we see throughout the Old Testament. For example, in Zechariah 4, 2-6 and the start of Numbers 8, where they relate to the lampstands to being the whole of Israel. Seven links into this and the universal church also. The angels? That's another whole message with so many different suggestions and interpretations, though most have a similar idea, that the angels are the angelic representatives of each of the churches, or the leaders, or the members of the churches, the saints. Whichever way you look at it, though, Jesus is talking to all of the churches at the same time, both in John's words and Jesus' words, and not one before or separately from the others. In other words, we're not meant to read this and choose what we want to hear. We're meant to hear all of Jesus' message. Remember, all means all. No matter which tradition, which church denomination, just as them. Does that mean we should set aside our differences and stop being different from one another? It doesn't say that. I have an idea. Why doesn't everyone just agree with me and my church? Light bulb moment. Just as God has consistently recognised that humans need to be set apart in divisions, so too does Jesus, speaking to all of the churches corporately whilst leaving them to be separate and different. The people of earth are on the brink of overcoming the worldwide pandemic we've struggled with. Separately, but following the same message, there is no choice, it has got to be done. In our own ways, according to our own agendas and in a typically human broken way but we have or are close to doing so our divided churches have that same ability each with its own strengths and weaknesses just like john seven churches we don't agree we think each of the others interpretation is wrong and they are just plain wrong tolerated out of a desire to be respectful to god but we all have the same message, Matthew 28, 18 to 20. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. So, who is Jesus' message for in Revelation and in Matthew? It is for all of us who call ourselves Christians. And together, with our differences in flavours and tradition, allowing people from every walk of life, every background, 
every culture or faith, border, philosophy or hatred to approach the throne of God and be part of God's rescue plan. If we all did it the same way, we'd only speak to some, and certainly not all nations. Our strength is found in God alone, the God who will use the divisions that separate us for his purposes, just as in Babel, just as with Abraham, just as with Jacob and Israel. This is part of God's plan, since we cannot be forced by dint of fighting to be better. Though we contend with God daily, ignoring him, forgetting him, and choosing our own strength, he never lets up. The divisions in the church are not born from being Christian, but from being human. That same need to contend, but with each other. It reflects that same character of humanity everywhere and in all times. And by allowing us our differences, he creates the conditions for us to come to him. Jesus speaks to us all through John, in our differences. The challenge before us is to listen to all of it, not just the bits we like, and act on it. What are you going to listen to? Earlier I asked you how you'd respond to this. Is God's plan for division or disunity? Many hands make light work or divide and conquer. Too many cooks spoil the broth or teamwork makes the dream work. What's our actual role in practice? What's yours? My way or the highway or God's way? Clue. God's way. If that's your answer, what does that really mean for you and me? Jesus said, my house has many rooms. Just as God chose to end his fight with Jacob, he gives each of us the chance to stop fighting and join him in his house, Israel. If you made that choice already, what does that mean for you now? Are you done? There's always more. If you haven't and would like to know more, contact me or one of the leaders of our church using the email address at the end of this broadcast and here. This amazing God wants a relationship with you. He wants to speak with you and he wants you to work with him in his plans for our hurting and broken world. What are we waiting for? God bless you all. As we consider what today's message meant for us, let's take time to speak to God in prayer. Jane and Mark have recorded these thoughts and prayers to bring us close today. Good morning. I'm just going to read a few verses from Corinthians. Yes, the body has many different parts, not just one part. If the foot says, I am not a part of the body because I'm not a hand, does that make it any less part of the body? And if the ear says, I am not part of the body because I'm not an eye, would that make it any less part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, how would you hear? Or if your whole body was an ear, how would you smell anything? But our bodies have many parts and God has put each part just where he wants it. How strange a body would be if it only had one part. Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head can never say to the feet, I don't need you. Father God, thank you that you are our father and that you have given us Jesus, your son, to make us right with you. 
Lord, we trust you to do what is right, especially at the time with these new uncertain times. Some of us find it very hard and confusing. Please give us your peace. We thank you, Lord, that you have placed us here at Dorchester Community Church as a family. We know we are all very different with different skills, abilities, opinions and characters. Help us not to judge or criticise, but rather to encourage, build up and support. You mentioned in the Bible about your people being a body and how we need each and every part. Lord, for those of us who are still finding out what part of body peace we are, help us to come close to you and not be afraid to make mistakes as we learn. Help us not to want to be like anyone else or to copy somebody, but just to be ourselves. As an earthly family is made up of different individuals, teach us to have our identity in Christ. We do pray for our nation at this time of another lockdown. We ask that you would protect and guide our key workers who do an amazing work in keeping us safe. We thank you for the vaccines that are now available and we ask that it will be delivered safely, effectively and timely. During this time, Lord, we pray that the church will shine as a beacon of hope, of light and of speak of the good things that the Lord is doing. May each of us come to recognise Jesus as the hope that we have. May each of us be quick to encourage and help those in need. Maybe if we have a little more time on our hands at the moment, let us use it wisely. So Jesus, we understand that we are all precious to you. Help us to understand our worth in your eyes and to lead this church, the other churches in our town and throughout the land, as we want to see your name loved and adored. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.